what a great service we've already had. Wouldn't you agree? And we sang, we sang with God in mind, listening and understanding the truth that's being spoken in the words of the songs. We, uh, we, we apply that to our hearts in singing. So even singing is a form of worship in that sense because it brings us to God. And then, of course, afterwards we, we heard a wonderful presentation for our children's ministry. What a great thing for a church to invest in the lives of young people. Amen? You know, there's many ways to invest. Uh, when we give resource to the church, obviously a portion of that goes to our children's uh, work, the children's ministry. But God does want us to invest our lives in the lives of the young ones. In the Old Testament, it records that those who of the first generation who saw God work in the wilderness, who saw God pull back the curtains when they went into the promised land and began to hand over cities to them against armies that were much stronger. They would tell their children, this is what we saw God do. And when those kids grew up, they did not have that personal experience with God. Maybe it was because they were not learning or leaning into God. And so they would tell their kids, here's what our parents told us about God. There's a distance. And by the next generation, they're no longer even quoting anything about God. This is the natural way of the world. This is what happens when, the, when God presents himself in this world to us. But if we don't stay tuned in, if we as adults don't stay focused on helping our children to know the importance of God, not only by what we say to them, but how we live our lives before our own children. Believe me, there's a lot of children today that do not go to church, who are now teenagers and older, who do not go to church because while they saw their parents attend service, they never really saw their parents embrace in a personal sense a trust in God. So it's so important that we get involved in the lives of our kids. I'm going to attend this afternoon after service. I want to be there to spur the kids on in their little get-together party. It's going to be fun. I hope maybe some of you will join us. Uh, it'll be a great time. I, I, I just am so moved. I'm moved by a church that recognizes what church is. It's not people who go to a place and attend a service and go home. True church is belonging to Christ. And when you belong to Christ, that church that belongs to Christ is not given to affinity. In other words, I'll go to church and just hang out with people who I have something in common with. Oh, they like to uh, cook meals? I like cooking. I'll get with them and we'll come up with some recipes. I go to church because, you know, there's this one girl that I want to see, and I have seen her there before, so I'm going back. We, we can have all kinds of reasons why we attend church by affinity. That's not what true church is about. True church is what we have in common with Christ. All other affinities take a back seat, which means that if it's something that Christ supports, something that Christ is excited about, I want to support and be excited about it. So I want to be around our children. Maybe you want to serve with children. Maybe you want to help us in that, in that arena. We have other places to serve too. Don't be a Christian who just attends a service. 
You're not connected to the body if that's all you're doing. To be connected is to be involved, is to be using your gifts, being a servant of Christ. Amen? All right, that's the first sermon. Now, Brenton did a great job setting this up for us, and I want to go into it. That passage probably sounds familiar. We read it last week, but the Holy Spirit took us in a completely different direction, so we never had a chance to expound upon that text. And even if you weren't here last week, if you were here the week before and skipped last week for whatever reason, uh, you heard the text as a scripture reading two weeks ago. This is the third week that we've shared this text. And the reason for that is because we're looking in chapter 17, 1 through 15, at four characteristics that follow a Christian who is turning an upside, upside down world right side up. How does a Christian turn an upside-down world right side up? By being faithful to the Word of God, by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, the whole gospel, with this world. You see, in the text, these guys said, these men have come in, these believers, and they've turned the world upside down. No, that's inaccurate. When God created Adam and Eve, the world was right side up. Adam and Eve chose to rebel against God, even though he gave them dominion. They took the dominion of this earth that God gave them and handed it over to Satan. They fell into his trap. And so now the world is upside down. So what these guys were saying, they were wrong. They, were, they had it inside out. It's not, a, it's not a right side up world, it's an upside down world. And what Paul and Jason and the brothers and the disciples Timothy and Silas and Luke, what all of them are doing, listen, they're actually taking an upside-down world and trying to correct it simply by being faithful to the Word of God. So we taught two weeks ago the first two characteristics of a Christian who is committed to being used of God to set this world right side up. Now, that's the work of God, right? We, you know, you don't, it's not, not us. It's Christ in us. He is the only hope of glory for us, right? And those who believe. But the first characteristic was spirit boldness. You will not share your faith with others if the Holy Spirit is not in you. You must be saved. And if you're saved, the Spirit of God is in you. But even the fact that the Spirit's in you doesn't mean that you're going to allow Him to use you. You have to surrender. You have to allow Him to place a boldness in you. You say, my, per my disposition, my personality is that I'm more passive, I'm not bold. So I can see you, Pastor Greg, but I can't see myself doing that. The Holy Spirit is the same in me that He's in you, and He wants all of us to be witnesses for Him. Now, the way we witness might look a little different. I might get in somebody's face. You might not. You, you might approach it a little differently. But don't fall into this trap that it's more important what people see than what they hear from me. That goes against Scripture. It is by hearing that we are able to believe. you got to hear the truth. So yes, be a witness. Walk in holiness. Let people see that. But you still have to open your mouth and communicate the gospel. Everybody does. If you're a believer, that's your calling. Go into the world and what? Herald, proclaim, 
preach the gospel. That's what we're called to be and do. So the first point was spirit boldness. Scripture focused is the second point. Thirdly is salvation. We haven't covered these. We'll cover these today. Salvation driven. That's a characteristic of a person who's turning the world right side up. A believer is salvation driven. And fourthly, strife given. You will experience persecution. Okay, so let's just go ahead and because some of you might not have been here two weeks ago, and because some of you were here two weeks ago, and now you've forgotten what we said in the first message, I'm going to, in part two, just briefly cover the first two points again. Spirit boldness. Look what it says in chapter, one, in chapter 17, or 17, verse 1. Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom... He went into the synagogue, okay? And then if you look down at verse 10, because there's two places that Paul spends his time in verses 1 through 15. The first was Thessalonica. The second is Berea. The brothers in verse 10 immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jenish synagogue. How did, what does that have to do with spirit boldness? Well, first of all, it was Paul's custom to always, when he would come into a town, uh, if they had a synagogue, if there were 10 Jewish men, they would have a synagogue, and he would make a beeline for the synagogue. Why? Because he had a heart for God's people, those who were chosen, holy, and dearly loved from the Old Testament, and he wanted them to know Jesus. Remember, Paul was the chief of all Benjaminites. Paul was the guy who absolutely was given to Pharisaicalism. He was a rabbi. He studied under Gamaliel, the greatest rabbi to ever live. He understood Judaism inside and out, and he was given to it. So much so that he was willing to persecute believers for the sake of Judaism. And God arrested him. He arrested him as he was traveling in order to pick up Christians and haul them back to Jerusalem and have them imprisoned. And God reached his heart and God transformed Paul. That was not Paul's work. That was not Paul saying, hmm, I've tried Judaism. Let me try Christianity. No, no. That was the Holy Spirit arresting Paul. That was him simply surrendering to the call of God. And what was the call of God for Paul's life? The Father sent through a vision. He told Cornelius, make sure, or Ananias, make sure you tell him that he's going to suffer many things for my name's sake. <laughs> That's the calling of Paul. You're going to suffer many things for my name's sake. That's your calling. We'll get excited. Hallelujah. I get to go suffer. <laughs> the very thing that we as Christians try to avoid, that's the calling of being a believer. It wasn't just Paul. Any Christian who's ever been worth their salt has suffered. In the Dark Ages, it was Bloody Mary who, because the Christians, the, the Protestants, the protesters, would not give in to her wrong teaching, erroneous teaching on communion, on the Lord's Supper, because they would not give in, she had them burned at the stake. Believers who went to the stake, and, and it's recorded in history that some of them, as they were, the flames were coming up I think of Nicholas Ridley and Hugh Latimer. As the flames were coming up to take them, they took their hands and they waved them through the flames and began to sing the hymns of God that all England would know. 
that God is real. And God has a way. And we need to follow his way, not the queen's. And I think that there's something for us today that while society around us is trying to intimidate and call us into what they want, we need spirit boldness to stand, even if it means being persecuted. Amen? And so that's the first point, is, is this boldness that's required. Paul would go to the synagogue where they did not believe Jesus was Messiah. But he went there out of love for them, wanting them to know the truth of the gospel. You say, well, how do I get this courage, this boldness? Well, first it's by the Spirit. You, you can't generate it. But there are things that the Bible says that we can focus upon that allow the Spirit to embolden us, and make us, embolden us. One would be we trust God. How do, I, how do I gain courage to stand for Christ? Trust God. Put your trust. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, where are you struggling right now in your faith? Trust God in that area. Hand it over to God. David is the great example of this. Psalm 27, 1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, yet I will be confident. Why? Because my trust is not in myself. My trust is not a self-confidence. It's a God confidence that, that, that David walked in. Do you walk in God confidence? Now, let's just be honest. No one in this room walks in God confidence in every little thing. We struggle, don't we? Don't we come into moments where we're overwhelmed, overtaken by trial, by setback, whatever it might be? We struggle. That's real. Don't, you have to apologize for that. But that, at that point of weakness, that's where God is saying, now place your trust in me in that very area and watch and see if I will not give you courage. Another place that we can gain courage is by confessing sin. Scripture is very clear about that. David himself again, look what he said in Psalm 7 verse 1, O Lord my God, in you do I take refuge. Save me from all my pursuers and deliver me, lest like a lion they tear my soul apart, rending it into pieces with none to deliver. And listen to this, verse 3, O Lord my God, if I have done this, if there is wrong in my hands, if I have repaid my friend with evil or plundered my enemy without cause, let the enemy pursue my soul and overtake it, and let me trample my life to... And, and let him trample my life to the ground and lay my glory in the dust. But then in verse 10 he says, but my shield is with God who saves the upright in heart. So when I have a pure heart, when I walk in impurity before God, and when sin comes in, I confess that before him, I, I make it right. Now you have courage to stand for God. If you have a hidden sin, and someone comes to you, another believer, and they say, hey, I'm struggling in this area. And you have not handed that sin over to God. You've not confessed it and, and re received uh, uh, forgiveness for that sin and walked away from it. Then when that person says, can you help me in this area? You're not going to have confidence to help them unless you yourself have overcome in that area. Amen? By the work of God. Let me give you another thing. It's not just... Uh, it's, it's not just spirit boldness that Paul walked in. If you want to turn the world right side up, you've also got to have the right scripture understanding. It requires scripture, being scripture focused. 
The only thing that we have that the world needs is the truth of God's Word. It's not you, it's not your winning personality, it's not your charisma that wins people to Christ. Salvation is God's work. Regeneration happens by the Spirit, not by the persuasion of man. Therefore, be faithful to share the truth. Let the truth of God's Word do the work in that person's life. Just be faithful. See, that takes all the pressure off. When Jesus gave the parable of the sower, he didn't tell, say to the sower, now look, it's not just throwing the seed out there. I need you. It's how you dress. It's how you speak. I'm going to give you some, a little model to follow. A little, you can follow this outline when you share. He, he did none of that. He just said, be faithful to throw the seed. Be faithful to communicate the truth. Share the scripture with people. That's what it's about. There's nothing else that will help an unbeliever to be convicted by sin than if you simply share truth where they might be in error. And you don't do it uh, in, a, in an obnoxious way. You don't do it with an arrogance, a pride, I'm better than you. Look, you used to be the person that got it wrong. Amen? And the Scripture set you right. So you're lovingly, compassionately, humbly coming before them and sharing truth. We need to proclaim the truth with boldness. Romans 9.33 says, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. To the world, when you share the truth, it will cause them to stumble. Jesus said, the, or Paul said, the Greek seeks a sign. Uh, the, the Jew uh, is going to stumble over uh, what you teach in truth. He'll think it's, it's causing him to stumble. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jew, it's a stumbling block. To the Greeks, it sounds like foolishness. But you remain faithful to preach it. Why? Because that's how people come to Christ. You don't get saved because somebody really did a good job in how they shared. You got saved because the truth came home. The Holy Spirit burdened you with the truth, and you surrendered to the truth. Amen? Paul boldly confronted the Jews of Thessalonica. For three Sabbaths, it says, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures. Paul did not waste any time. He went right to the Word to help those in Thessalonica. And then, let me just say this. It's important that we not only share the truth, it's important that we listen to their response to the truth. And when people have questions, it's really important, Scripture says, for you to be able to give an answer. Let me, let me share this with you. 1 Peter 3.15. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. In other words, live a holy life. Always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. If you know the word of God, when people ask questions, then you'll be able to give them the word of God. If you are not a student of the word, if you're not studying the Bible, then you're not prepared when somebody asks a question. You don't know what to say to them. You say, yeah, that, that happens a lot to me. What's the answer? Start studying the Word of God. Come into a discipleship relationship with someone who's ahead of you and let them teach you what they've learned about, from, the, from the Word. That way you're better equipped to go and to communicate with others. 
It says in verse 11, now these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Now he's in Berea. And they received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. It doesn't mean that the Jews in the the synagogue in Berea were saved. They're no more saved than the Jews in the Thessalonican synagogue. The difference is, in Thessalonica, they didn't want to hear anything that Paul had to say. In Berea, they at least wanted to hear what Paul said and then check it out against the scriptures, the Old Testament. And then as they checked it out and Paul continued to answer their questions, they began to believe. They came into relationship with Jesus Christ. Pretty cool stuff, amen? That's the way it should be. In Luke 24, 25, Jesus himself used the Old Testament scripture to convince his, the disciples that he was walking with on the road to, to Emmaus. He said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? They were all blown away by the fact that their Messiah, their Savior, died. They couldn't believe it. He's like, well, hang on a second. You should know that. It's in the Old Testament that the Messiah would have to die. Why don't you know these things? And then he said this in verse 27, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. It's there. Study it. Become a student of the word of God. Get into a Bible study. We have a women's Bible study on Thursday mornings. We have a men's Bible study on Mondays and Wednesdays. There are places for you to come into study of the Word of God. We have Sunday morning teaching. Take notes. Get engaged in the Word of God in your personal time. Read the Scripture. Study the Scripture. If you want some great uh, teachers that you can look up on YouTube, I'll give them to you. Come to me. I'll share with you several that I think could that, that properly exegete a text and expound on that passage. I'll give that to you so that you can study the Word of God and know more. Every believer should know more. You say, wait a minute, what do you mean? I mean more today than yesterday. I mean more tomorrow than today. We're always in a state of learning and growing in Christ. Amen? Nobody's ever arrived. Nobody's ever arrived. Well, how do I know more? Confess my sins. Start there. Hey, listen, let me tell you something. It's impossible to study the Scriptures profitably with an impure mind. You want to know why you don't understand the word? You want to know why it's not fun to read? Because maybe there's sin in your life. Confess that sin. Be open. Get honest with God. Get honest about it. Let it out. Let God heal and forgive you. Then start studying and watch the word come alive in you. Another thing you can do is be diligent in Bible study, as we just said. Uh, Paul told young Timothy, do, not, do your best to present yourself to God as a one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Don't be lazy. Don't be unplanned. Don't be undisciplined in your Bible study. Because if you are, it will not produce the fruit of righteousness in you. You've got to be diligent. Another thing you can do to be more scripturally focused is commit yourself to practicing the truth you learn. James, the brother of Jesus, said, Don't just be a doer of the word, or or don't just be a hearer of the word, but be a doer also. If you're only only one that listens to the word, you're deceiving yourselves. It's got to flesh out. It's got to be your life. It's not hiding the word of God in your heart so that nobody ever knows that you're a Christian. It's hiding the word in your heart that it becomes you. 
Now everything I do reflects what I know and what I've received. I bring the word in and I eat it up. Just like you might eat good food, you know, you take good bites, you chew until the food is digestible, and then you let that food come into your body. That's the word of God. Get there again. You say, I I stopped doing that years ago. What was it that caused you to stop? Go back and ask that question. And then whatever it was, get rid of it. Get back in the habit of studying the word of God. And then another thing that will inspire you, when I study the word for teaching, I grow more than you do. That's God really speaks to me personally when I'm studying for others. So why don't you do this? Find somebody who knows less than you do and teach them what God has taught you. It'll inspire you, and you'll learn more. What if you're talking to someone and they ask a question, you don't have an answer? That's okay. Say, you know what? Let me go and, and, and study up on that, and I'll come back and share with you. Maybe you need to go listen to a John MacArthur or a Steve Lawson or one of these guys and listen to what they've said on that particular subject. It's okay. Go to your pastor, go to a shepherd here, one of our pastor elders, and ask them. Get the answer and go back. You can can help others. You can disciple others. There's no question. And now we come to the third point, getting to the heart of this thing, salvation-driven. Look in Thessalonica, verse 4. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. And then in verse 12, when he went to Berea, Many of them therefore believed with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. So to be right side up in an upside down world, you have to recognize the importance of, here it is, discipling others. That's what it's about. Listen, evangelism is discipleship. In the sense, Jesus said he commanded, go into the world, preach the gospel. What did he say next? Somebody tell me. What did he say? Make disciples of all people. See, that's really what evangelism is all about. You're not going out to share just so people hear it. You now want to take them as God saves them, and he uses you to pour into them. You disciple them. This is the way. This is the way of God. This is the way of the early church. This was Paul's practice, going into a town, sharing the gospel, people saved by the truth of the word that comes alive in them. And then he began to disciple. He would stay three weeks. He would stay two years. And he would pour into, disciple. Why? So that they would, in turn, go and disciple others. Discipleship is being a disciple and then making disciples. Taking those who God has saved and helping them to grow So, for one purpose, that they might become disciples and disciple others. Listen to what, listen to what Paul said to Timothy. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to faithful men. Take what I've taught you and begin to disciple faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Do you see that? It's called spiritual reproduction. Spiritual reproduction. This is how the gospel sweeps across the earth to impact those who come to Christ. Spiritual reproduction. It says here that it wasn't only some of the Jews 
who were being saved and discipled. There were also a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. Interesting. The Thessalonian church was a spiritually reproducing church after Paul had been with them. They went out and shared. By the way, if a church is not spiritually reproducing, it will die. A church will die. Unless there's people who are pouring into people who are pouring into people. If every one of us, what would happen if each of you, who someone gets saved, or someone that you know is already saved, but they're not growing, and you came alongside them, and you began to disciple them, you begin to pour the word of God, what happens if every true believer at Vero Bible Fellowship were to do that with somebody else for the purpose of raising them up, teaching them so that they then would turn and go. Look at the exponential growth of the gospel in our county. Not about the numbers of people come to our church. That stuff's ridiculous, the nickels and noses. It's not about that. It's about you being a faithful disciple yourself, growing in Christ, and then sharing what you know with others that they might then become the faithful disciples and share with others even further you see the picture of the church look at the church today in north america it's the opposite of that you go into a big room and you sit and listen to one guy talk once a week and then they have these projects that you can be part of to go out and feed the poor clothe the naked whatever but but you do the projects but are you growing if all your church experience is simply going and attending on a Sunday and then doing a project every once in a while, that is not belonging to God's church. That's not what it looks like. If you want to turn the world right side up as a believer, you have to have a spiritual boldness. You have to be scripturally focused. You must be salvation driven. I'm going to do my part to share Christ, throw the seed, the word of God, the gospel, and then I'm going to disciple those that come my way. You got to do it. That's what we're here for. This is what the church is about, okay? Did you know that in the Thessalonica church, Aristarchus and Secundus, these were two who joined Paul in his evangelistic work from the church in Thessalonica. Paul raised them up and sent them out. Thessalonica was a reproducing church. Look at verse, and, and uh, don't turn, let me, for sake of time. 1 Thessalonians 1.8, Paul's speaking to the church in Thessalonica. Listen to this commendation that he gives. He says, for not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Acacia, but, you, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. This church was a reproducing church. The people were faithful. I, listen, let me say something. Last week was so special. We needed that time, I believe. We were going through a very difficult, and we're still there in losing three. We, we lost three wonderful people of God that were very much part of the fabric of Bureau Bible Fellowship in six days. Three people that were very important to us, people that we loved. We needed last week to have a moment to grieve, to pray, to turn our thoughts back to God, to see that it's not all about those who are dying, but we also have those who are experiencing God's work in their lives right now. Good things are happening. That was so important. But let me just say this to you. If you think that coming to church is just for you to come and attend and have a good experience, I'm just going to come and have a good experience. 
And if it's not a good experience, then man, you know, like last week was so awesome. Oh, this week he just taught from the word again. You'd be surprised the number of people in today's culture, that's what the world has, cult, has, has inculcated them in. This idea that church is supposed to be about excitement and fun and hold my attention. And if you don't, I'm going to go somewhere else. Man, that guy over there, he's so dynamic. Did you hear such and such? All, I, uh, all this nonsense. It's about coming for one purpose, to grow so that I might be able to disciple others. So that I might participate in the ministry of God through a fellowship of believers. I participate. It's not just about attendance. Let me give you the fourth point. Strife given. Verse 5 in Thessalonica, but the Jews were jealous and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of his brothers before the city authorities. And this is what they shouted about them. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Isn't it just like the world and Satan to make, give man such a pride that he thinks he's got the world right side up when in actuality it's, it's upside down. And then he says, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king, Jesus. I can just see the disciples as that decree was going out as they were making this allegation. These guys, they're saying there's another king besides Caesar. And the disciples looking going, yeah, 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 that's pretty much true. That's what we said. There is another king besides Caesar. And that infuriated the crowd. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then in Berea, verse 13, But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea. But Silas and Timothy remained there, those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, and after receiving a command from Silas for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed as well. So this last point is the result of the first three. When you are spiritually, spiritually bold, when you are scripturally focused, when you are salvation-driven, you will be strife-given. <laughs> You're going to experience strife. You're going to experience persecution. Those who boldly proclaim the right message and win converts will face strife. Christian advancement will always be accompanied by opposition. Just get used to it. And that's the problem. I'll bet the vast majority of the people in this room are not familiar with persecution. Because we've been in the American church too long. And we've taken on the wrong focuses of the church. Man's focuses, not God's. I today have taken time to explain to you what it looks like to belong to God's church. You can't possibly be a Christian and not disciple others. You can't possibly be a Christian and not have a boldness to share with others. You can't possibly call yourself a Christian if you're not a student of the Word of God. You can't possibly be a Christian if you're not experiencing persecution. It goes with the territory. Look what it says. These guys, how they responded. 
These guys are enraged over the disciples. Look, they formed a mob. They set up the city in an uproar. They attacked the house of, of Jason. And then once they brought them out, they dragged them out into the street. Then they made their accusations. This is the way the world is. They are hostile towards truth. It's just ironic here. They're saying that these guys are the ones turning the world upside down. They're the ones that formed a mob. They're the ones that, that came after Jason, dragged them out in the street, got the people all fired up. They're the ones that got the city up in an uproar. In John 3, 19, this is what Jesus said. See, some of you are saying, well, how do I negotiate living for Christ but not having to face persecution? Ooh, that just doesn't, ooh, ooh. I mean, some people probably like it. I don't, that, how, do I, how do I make it as a believer and not have to, be unliked, disliked. Mm. Here's what your Savior says. Listen, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people loved the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. In John 7, I love this story. A lot of people don't understand it. Let me share. And after this, Jesus went, into, went about in Galilee. And he would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So he's up in the north. He doesn't come down to Judea, to Jerusalem yet. It's not his time to die. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, so now there's one of the great Jewish feasts where all the Jews would gather. The Jewish men would have to go to temple. And so the brothers of Jesus, this is not, this does not meaning disciples. This means true half-brothers of Jesus. Remember, he was raised in Nazareth, which is in the lower section of Galilee, the area of Galilee. And his brothers, who are not believers in him, they did not believe in him. They said to him, leave here and go to Judea that your, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. They were kind of inciting him. Go, why don't you go, go down to Jerusalem to the feast and make, your, make your, yourself known. Let people know who you really are, even though they didn't believe. Who were his brothers? James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas. Does James sound familiar? Later, James would believe, and he would write an epistle in the New Testament and become the leader of the church in Jerusalem. Judas? Jude. That was his name. There's a book written in the New Testament by Jude as well. But interestingly enough, Jesus said to them when they tried to incite him, listen to what he said, my time has not yet come, but your time is always here. Listen to what he says to his brothers, unsaved. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that its deeds are evil. 
if you are in the world, the world will love you. Jesus said, my time hasn't come. The world cannot hate you, but it does hate me. In John 15, listen to what Jesus said. If you are of the world, those of you who are Christians who want to escape persecution, listen. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, if you're truly saved, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world will hate you. Does the world hate you? How much time and thought goes into saying things in such a way that the world won't hate you? How much time goes into, I must be faithful to God, even if the world doesn't want to hear it. See, we, we, we don't want to play church. We want to be the church. And being the church is being faithful to the Word of God. In 2 Timothy, it says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. You read that again for you? This is Paul to Timothy, a young believer. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. How many? It really is important that we stop and reflect and ponder the truth of God's word. While evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived, true believers will speak the truth in love. They'll be gentle and kind as they say it, but they will say it to a lost world. And they will live with the outcome. And what's the outcome? Them hating you, despising you. See, they brought two charges against, against Paul and Silas. First, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. Okay? The weak charge was that the missionaries were troublemakers when the real troublemaker was the mob. Isn't that true for today? It's the world that's gotten into an outrage and they're enraged. They're burning cities. They're making loud, bold statements. And they don't, it's not about you having what you believe. They don't want you to speak what you believe. In fact, you got to start believing what we say. you got to say it the way we say it. And then they're, if you don't, you're the one that's inciting. You're the one that's, that's uh, uh, committing the sin, the crime, and you should be punished for it. That's just the way of the world. It was the same way back then. It's the same way today. Nothing new under the sun. Be faithful in the midst of what you're facing in this world today. There was great anguish in Paul when he shared his comments. He reflected on his time in Thessalonica when they hated him, the mob was after him. Here's what he said to the church in Thessalonica as he remembered. He said, but since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time in person, not in heart, we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again, but Satan hindered us. It was so bad that Paul had to leave. If he hadn't left, then they would have demanded that bond from Jason. So he left. Even uprooting someone. Are you willing to go the distance for Christ? What does it take for us to live in this upside down world? 
Paul gives us this model. It requires spirit boldness. It requires a commitment to the word of God. It requires you and I to stay focused on sharing the gospel and discipling those that we see come to Christ. And as a result, here's the reward. You're going to be opposed. You're going to be mocked and ridiculed. But Jesus said, blessed are you when they speak all manner of evil against you for my name's sake. You're blessed when you're persecuted. Oh, that we would be a church that God the Father would look down upon and he would be blessed by seeing the faithfulness of his people here. Each of us doing our part. This is what God has for us. The great theologian G. Campbell Morgan said, the measure of our triumph to work for God is always the measure of our travail. No propagative work is done save at cost. And every genuine triumph of the cross brings after it the travail of some new affliction and some new sorrow. So we share the travail that makes the kingdom come. Amen? Father, this morning, uh, there's no question that your word is truth and your word is righteous. The question is, will we, after the Spirit of God brings us to a point of understanding and conviction, will we surrender? Will we participate in your work? Lord, I know a lot of good churches that are faithful to study the Word of God, and the people have a great deal of knowledge, but they're doing nothing with it. If you ask that same crowd of folks who are totally given to the Word, who did you speak with this week to share Christ? How were you persecuted this week? Generally, the persecution that they'll talk about is the persecution that they've received from other Christians because they're totally given to that culture. They only hang out with other Christians. They're not given to go into the world and preach the gospel. Oh God, I pray that we would be a church that is faithful to these characteristics, the same characteristics that the Apostle Paul just uh, uh, models for us and that we too would play our part by the Holy Spirit of turning an upside-down world, right-side-up. May it happen, Lord, individually. Let it be organic. Let it not be through some program that comes from our leaders. Let it just be each of us convicted by the Holy Spirit, enlightened by the Word of God, corrected by the Word of God, going out under the Spirit boldness with the truth of Scripture, sharing the gospel, and then living with the persecution that comes. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. 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 Thank you, church family, for being here today. We have elders and prayer partners who will join you at the front if you would like to pray about any matter, any need in your life. If you want to hang out with the kids, hey, let me tell you another ministry opportunity, those who don't want to just come and sit but serve. Uh, tearing down each week our, our platform and all for the school if you could help us with that, some of you, that would be a great way to help, okay? God bless you.